Hello and welcome to this month's webcast, part of the ongoing Mac Learning Environments project. My name is Scott Morris and I'll be moderating, moderating today's webcast. Mac, Mac Learning Environments project is a group of academic technologists, software developers, and educators interested in running open source and open standards on Mac OS X and Mac OS X server. Some of the activities that we do include webcasts like this webcast today. Our next webcast will be next month, of course, February 28th. Also, we are looking for new members on our steering committee, so if you are interested, please contact me, smorris at apple.com. And of course, if you haven't already joined Mac Learning Environments, please visit us at maclearning.org and get a free account in our Sakai install uh, deployment on Mac OS X server. Today's topic is Pachyderm, creating compelling multimedia learning objects easily. Joining us today in the studio is Joshua Archer, software engineer at California State University Center for Distributed Learning. And Josh wears several hats for the Pachyderm project, including lead engineer and chair of its advisory council. Also joining us today on the telephone from Calgary, Canada, we have King Chung Huang, software engineer at the University of Calgary's Teaching and Learning Center, and an architect of the Apollo Frameworks and Pachyderm 2.0. Hi, King. How are you? Hi, Scott. Thanks for joining us. At the conclusion of the webcast, you will see a link to a short online survey. We are always interested in getting your feedback specifically to the webcast and more generally about Mac learning environments. Now let's get started with Joshua's and King's presentation. Joshua? Thank you, Scott, uh, for uh, introducing us and, and having us come into the studio. I'd like to thank also uh, Mac Learning Environments and Apple for this opportunity to talk about a project that uh, I've been working on for the last um, over three years at this point, uh, a really exciting project called Pachyderm. Um, the overview of this uh, presentation uh, will be uh, a little bit of the information on the history of the Pachyderm project, uh, the people that are involved that made it possible. Uh, I'll be giving a demonstration uh, through some uh, QuickTime movies to, to show you what the Pachyderm, uh, both the, the final product and the application that helps you create the, the final product uh, functions, and then a little bit of an idea of the future of Pachyderm. Uh, where the project is going. Uh, the second half, I hope to get a little bit more into the architecture and technology used in Pachyderm, uh, including uh, talking a little bit about its uh, involvement with web objects, uh, talk about some of the projects that we have for integration uh, with other applications and interoperability, and then move into uh, some development opportunities for the uh, public who might want to join the project. It is an open source project, uh, and it's on SourceForge. All right. So um, the first thing you're probably asking is, what is Pachyderm? Pachyderm is a web-based, open-source uh, client-server model application where a person would log in with a uh, web browser and uh, will use a form-based type paradigm to fill in uh, spots into pre-made templates 
um, for presentations or, or learning objects. Uh, presentations is the word that we use internally to the application, but I think it can be a little misleading because uh, when I think of presentations, I think of uh, either keynote or PowerPoint slides where it's very linear. Um, and the idea behind a, a Pachyderm uh, product is that it's not linear, that it, you can branch out in multiple directions, uh, that each template gives you different unique ways of demonstrating media, sound, video, uh, and links uh, to other pages or other screens or even in the open web. The final product that Pachyderm produces uh, after the author has gone through the motions of putting their their project together is a flash-based multimedia presentation um, which is either viewable on the web or downloadable so that it can be placed on kiosks or it can be uh, played from a person's laptop. So the history behind Pachyderm 2.0. Uh, it's a, based on an original application built at the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art um, to manage their Making Sense of Modern Art exhibit. Um, that is Pachyderm 1.0. Of course, they didn't call it 1.0 at the time. Um, but uh, it's a project that they took on internally because they saw a need for their um, education department to be able to build very compelling, rich media presentations that they could put on the floor uh, in their uh, museum so that uh, exhibitors, uh, that, that viewers coming to the, to the museum would be able to uh, learn in depth the context uh, of the artworks that they were looking at. And they also wanted to be able to have those same presentations available on the open web for people who want to view from home or, or want to be able to show others uh, what they experienced at the museum. Um, and for those who have been involved with flash uh, authoring uh, in any extent know that it can be very expensive. That uh, the knowledge that's necessary to create a flash a presentation, a flash project, uh, is fairly specialized. And if you're creating things from scratch every single time, especially if you're talking about um, the type of uh, presentations that SFMOMA have been creating, where you're, you literally have hundreds of screens, that soon you're talking about thousands and thousands of dollars uh, per iteration of your, of your, your uh, presentation. So they decided that they wanted to create a authoring tool that they could use in-house to make modifications or new presentations for new exhibits um, that would be reusable, easy to use for the uh, curators and those that are responsible for, for creating the presentations, and that would make use of the data that they've already collected for all of their acquisitions. So Pachyderm 1.0 was born. They built that in-house um, based on uh, Windows technology. I'll go a little bit more into the background of the technology in the second half of the talk. Um, but suffice to say that there were some issues with it um, that uh, needed improvement. Um, <clears throat> one of them would be extensibility. Uh, the uh, templates that they used, uh, they didn't have a full sense of how many templates they would want for their, their application. Um, and as they went along, they said, oh, this new experience would be fun. This new experience would be useful. And as they added templates, the system wasn't built to easily accept those extensions. So um, they knew that they had to, if they were going to uh, move forward, uh, change their system so that it was easy, much more easy to extend. Um, there also were some uh, stability concerns. There were uh, also the fact that it, it was, since it was Windows technology, it was only deployable on Windows machines, and they were looking for a little bit more flexibility. Um, fortunately, uh, along came uh, 
the, this uh, Institute of Museum and Library of Services grant, uh, along with uh, partnership with the New Media Consortium and SFMOMA, uh, there was a decision to move forward in, in creating Pachyderm 2.0. And Pachyderm 2.0 would be an application that uh, was open source, that was deployable on multiple platforms, was easy to extend, and had a higher level of stability and, um, and reliability. So uh, this got together in 2003 and um, involved a number of partners. The project leads for the Pachyderm project are the New Media Consortium and SFMOMA. The university partners that join the project uh, are listed here as well as the museum partners. And um, Design Worlds for Learning is a, another partner that uh, through Ted Khan was able to bring SFMOMA and NMC together uh, to see the opportunities that were available for not only creating a new version of Pachyderm for SFMOMA's use, but for the public at large. Um, and it's a really exciting project that, that has taken uh, several years to, to come to fruit, but we already have uh, lots and lots of users, and I'll talk a little bit more about that later. So before I move on, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, the target audience of Pachyderm. Um, Pachyderm, again, is a form-based application. Uh, the, the paradigm we went with was uh, going for the easiest to understand, uh, already in people's minds uh, way of working on the web. Uh, we had a number of different options. We could have done a drag and drop application with uh, early forms of Ajax. In fact, we did some prototypes in that. And it seemed that our target audience, being teachers, students, museum staff, and curators, um, preferred uh, the paradigm of, of web form input. And so it made it very easy for them to use the application. Um, and the template system uh, allows for people who have not only very little media experience, but also very little design experience to um, take slides, templates that have been created by people who have design experience and have certain pedagogy embedded in them to create not only visually compelling and aesthetically pleasing, but also educationally sound uh, learning objects with what's available in the system. Um, and uh, the current system produces flash presentations, but Pachyderm, as, as it's been built, 2.0, doesn't require that the publish uh, actually be in Flash, that you can extend the application to publish into XHTML or, or any other format that you wish, um, which is another one of the beauties of, of the way that we built Pachyderm 2.0. So we started design in October of 2003. That's when all of the um, partner groups came together and started to discuss if we're going to take this application, which has served so wonderfully for SFMOMA, and extend it to not only other museums, but educational institutions. Uh, what are the things that we really need to have included? What are the changes that we need to have? What are the things we want to accentuate? And that process um, was uh, driven very successfully. Um, I wanted to give some thanks to um, uh, Rachel Smith, who is uh, at the NMC, who is responsible, at, at the time she was with uh, our group, the Center for Distributed Learning, for really driving forward that design phase and, and making sure that we captured in use cases and in, in, in um, uh, a large document uh, everything that people were, were considering for Pachyderm 2.0. Um, 
we started implementation of its current form in 2004, um, we had gone through a couple of different uh, conceptualizations of what we needed to do for Pachyderm 1.0 to make it what we envisioned. Um, the first project was to take what SFMOMA had and make it uh, easy to uh, install on other platforms. Um, and we learned a lot about, about the application in that process and, and learned that that approach wasn't going to work for us. And so we looked around at a lot of different technologies. We considered, considered uh, J2EE, we considered uh, PHP as a platform. And it really was um, our introduction uh, through the University of Calgary. Um, and uh, thanks to, to King and to um, Darcy Norman uh, for uh, pushing this. Uh, and, and it was a very good choice. And moving with web objects as a, a very good rapid deployment environment um, and we were able to inherit a great deal of work that uh, the University of Calgary had already put forth with their Apollo libraries and we'll talk a little bit about those later. Um, so implementation started in August of 2004. We had an early beta in February 2005. We're invited um, a number of NMC organizations uh, members to come in and help us test second round in April, third round in the summer of 2005, and we had a final release of the application in its first version to the NMC members, November 2005. Uh, open source release, we released code to SourceForge in the spring of 2006, and um, the grant for the IMS project concluded in October 2006. So we'll talk a little bit about what has happened since then. Uh, in October of 2006, the Pachyderm Advisory Council was formed and launched. And this is a, a body of individuals in the, in the Pachyderm user and development community, uh, represent, representatives of um, uh, different institutions, museums. There's a NMC seat and a SFMOMA seat, permanent members, and then a rotating group of individuals uh, that uh, help advise what features should be put into new versions um, and to help uh, motivate and to um, uh, provide support for those uh, in the development community uh, to develop the, the features and, and, and move forward with the application. Um, we had just had in December of 2006 our first annual Pachyderm Users Conference with over 100 uh, attendees. It, I think it was between 120 and 130 attendees. And uh, for uh, a, an application's first uh, conference, I think that's a pretty good turnout. And we had members from both museums and from uh, educational institutions. Uh, and the conference was um, funded by the Marcus Foundation um, as part of their project for the extension of the use of Pachyderm in Texas in museums and in uh, educational institutions. And I want to thank them very much for allowing us to get together. It was very exciting and, and I really can see the future of, of Pachyderm as an application and as a community moving forward because of their, their help. Um, as we've moved forward and the IMLS grant has concluded, the official um, 
project has ended and we've moved into the open source community, we've already started to see new institutions and leadership forming. I've mentioned the Marcus Foundation and helping support the extension of Pachyderm in, in its use in Texas. We have uh, the Seattle Art Museum who is going to be using Pachyderm for their new installations that are launching later this year. I believe in March. I'm probably getting that wrong. I apologize. Um, and through their work, they're um, funding development on new sets of templates and new modalities for touchscreen for the application, which is new for us, and a larger format. The original Pachyderm was developed for 800 by 600 because that's uh, the, the frame that, that the SF MoMA was using, and now um, we're expanding that frame out to make use of uh, larger technology that's available today. Um, MIT has been a really good partner with the Pachyderm project. They've been helping us uh, put together OKI support so that Pachyderm can communicate with uh, asset repositories using the OKI OSID. Uh, I believe we had a discussion of the OKI OSID during the um, view uh, webcast, which was a couple of months ago, I believe. Um, and so uh, we're doing the same for Pachyderm, and that's, that's rather exciting. I've already uh, built through the aid of uh, Jeffrey Kahn and uh, Peter Wilkins uh, and MIT, uh, an OSID uh, consumer, and we've been able to communicate with multiple different asset repositories already, and I've built presentations uh, from assets that exist uh, all the way over in Boston, so it's exciting. Um, Princeton has also uh, been working with Pachyderm. They're um, working on a Linux install, and they're um, also talking about integration, integration with Almagest, which is an application that was born at Princeton, another uh, media uh, repository and, and, uh, and presentation tool. The Walters Art Museum in Baltimore has uh, put together an installation recently using Pachyderm, and they're also helping to promote and fund extensions to the templates. Um, that are gravely needed. And then uh, most recently, Indiana Museum of Art is working with Pachyderm team to integrate Pachyderm with uh, their own project that they're a part of called Steve, which is a meta-tagging tool for assets. Uh, and it's, it's uh, an experiment uh, at this point. They're, they're using it to, to collect data on the way that uh, the layperson identifies images and, and the way that professionals uh, also do identification of images. But we're working on a template so that Pachyderm and Steve can interact in a dynamic way and, and start to uh, allow individuals who are actually viewing Pachyderm presentations to do some tagging on the images that they see in those presentations. And so that's really exciting work that we're doing with them as well. Um, some back-of-the-envelope ballpark numbers. There, uh, at this point, are over a 1,000 users of Pachyderm on both the um, New Media uh, server and the CSU servers combined. Um, it's probably more like 13 or 1,400, but uh, these numbers are, are, I think, go back to June. Um, and there are dozens of installs across the U.S. and Canada uh, that I know of. Uh, there might be even more uh, suggested by the downloads that we've seen on SourceForge. Um, and uh, there are users from at least 11 countries around the world that are using Pachyderm either on their own instance or on one of the instances that are, are hosted at the NMC or the CSU. Uh, I checked just a few days ago and there were over 1,100 downloads from SourceForge and 10,000 reads from Subversion in the last 12 months. So it's, it's a fairly uh, good 
response to an application that hasn't received a, a great deal of advertisement outside of its initial communities. Um, and it's, it's exciting for me to see that. Okay, so before I move on to the demonstration, I'd like to give a few acknowledgments to people on the project that have really been able to, to help push it forward up until now. Um, I did mention Rachel Smith at the NMC, who really helped us not only in the um, development of requirements, but also was the um, uh, project lead for uh, all the way through the project until October of 2006. Uh, Tom Hapgood at the University of Ar Arkansas is responsible for the graphic design of the authoring tool. And uh, without his help, uh, uh, things would look a lot different than they do today. And I, I thank him sincerely for that. Uh, Peter Samus and Tim Sfinonius at uh, SFMOMA have been uh, instrumental uh, and, and Work could not have proceeded without them uh, as expert users and supporters of, of the Pachyderm project. Um, and an indiv individual uh, that we had early on, Mark Bernstein, uh, was uh, absolutely essential in maintaining the original Pachyderm for SFMOMA and helped me understand a great deal about how the application works so we could extend into 2.0. Uh, University of Calgary, uh, Darcy Norman, uh, King Chung Huang, and Mike Matson were uh, essential in being able to help us with uh, the web objects uh, paradigm and, and working with web objects and pushing forward uh, Pachyderm in that environment. Uh, and the University of British Columbia, Tim Wong, Liang Shou, and Ulrich Rauch, who, who uh, helped us with the flash side of, of things, who helped us do augmentations to the flash templates so that we could move from 1.0 to 2.0. Without their help, we wouldn't have been able to move forward. And of course, uh, I thank uh, the Center for Distributed Learning, where I work, for allowing uh, me to work on this project and also for sh uh, putting a great deal of support towards uh, the use of Pachyderm in the CSU. Um, every single member of our team has been involved with Pachyderm at one point or another in its history. So let's give you a little taste of what uh, Pachyderm looks like. I'm going to show you the uh, SF MoMA Making Sense of Modern Art exhibit, and there is some sound here, so I want to make sure that uh, you're prepared for that. Um, and this will show you a little bit of how they have used Pachyderm to uh, show their exhibits, um, and, and you'll see through demonstration a little bit of, of the different things that are possible right now. What am I missing here? Oh, that's not art. Why is it art? I just like colors. Why do they choose? The forms. Temporary. The colors. Creativity. Art has to grab you. This initial screen here is uh, something they developed as a, a start screen for their presentation. Uh, is not editable in Pachyderm, but one could conceivably create something like this as a template. Um, This is an example of one of their menuing screens. This is called the phone dial screen. You can see that they use the sound cues as well as visual cues in their interface. Scrollable text.
And in each one of these screens that we're moving from page to page, each one is a template that's created within Pachyderm. And the linkages between the templates the are... It's very much a modernist state of affairs. But what emerged in the end? A little bit of audio there to show that it's possible. This is a, a thumbnail or tombstone that they use in museums for attribution of the works. And that gets included with every asset, no matter where it is in the presentation. It's another one of their screens called the Aspect screen that allows for uh, viewing of different modalities of images in relation to one another. And so you can see there's a lot of different ways of presenting information here. Some screens have different modalities built into them where it's, it's really sort of a mini application, uh, not just a single view. And there's also video. That is enormous. It participates, so the historians of fashion inform us, in the mad upward climbing of hats in the last years of the 19th century and the first years of the 20th. It casts an implacable green shadow strip. Now, moving back out here, I wanted to show you one other template, which I think, think is relatively compelling, to show you where uh, Pachyderm can go with their templates. This is called the Timeline Comparison Template. And while the other screens that we viewed were relatively static uh, with a little bit of motion, this um, really shows a comparison between art objects or any objects in, in a very user interactive way person's able to drag one image onto another image and then get a direct comparison of those concept the concepts related to those images. What am I missing here? I believe that's it. So as you can see, this was built in Pachyderm 1.0. All of the temp templates that uh, were in 1.0 are available in 2.0. Um, uh, and it's uh, really compelling to see this type of uh, really rich experience right there on the floor in the museum when you're walking around and you're trying to get a sense of w what is the meaning uh, not only of any individual art piece but how do they relate to one another. This type of multi-directional exploration allows a person to sit down at the kiosk and explore um, in any way they want to. Uh, it's much better than a linear presentation of information. Um, and this is available also when they get home. So there's a, a kiosk version and, and there's a, a web version. Um, sometimes the kiosk version will have higher quality videos available than you might have on the web. So there's different modality publishing possibilities as well. Um, and it, the, the curators that put together these presentations don't have to know anything uh, about design. They don't have to know uh, anything except for what their expertise is, and that's the artworks that they're trying to relate. Um, there is a process in authoring um, that is suggested. Uh, there are um, paper templates that people use for scratch to, to put together their storyboardings. Um, and, and I think that the, there's, that lends strength to the ability to present information well. But as far as the tool goes, the tool doesn't require you to know anything more than what you need to know to present information, which is really uh, its strength. 
And I wanted to show you one other by SFMOMA real quick. Um, this is their Anselm Kiefer exhibit. And to show you that the templates don't always have to look the same, that you can make some alterations uh, to the look and feel either in post-production. Uh, the way that the flash presentations are put together is that each of the flash templates um, is uh, removed from the data. The data exists in XML files. So uh, you can make uh, alterations to the XML files to change what data is in a presentation. But in the same way, you can make alterations to the actual SWIFTs so that that information gets presented in different ways. Um, and so this is the Anselm Kiefer exhibit. And this is done in 2.0. You can already see that the menuing system has an image behind it. It's, it's put together in a different way. But you're going to see some... I knew since I was born that I would be noticed. Uh, so I, I did other studies. I did, did the law, but I... Uh, this this is Anselm Kiefer speaking. I knew always that I will be noticed. So you can see that, that these screens look similar but are slightly different than what you saw in the previous uh, presentation. There's some coloration in the background. The frame border looks different. And they built this presentation fairly quickly for their exhibit. Uh, uh, it was a uh, visiting exhibit. And they do things like this all the time for, for all of the different works that they bring into the museum. And together this a collection of, of educational uh, learning objects is, is invaluable to their uh, the people that come to the museum and also are trying to learn from home. All right. So there are a bunch of different institutions, not just museums that are using Pachyderm today. There are educational uh, institutions that are using Pachyderm to create uh, learning objects around their subject matter. Um, there are instances of uh, schools of medicine that are using Pachyderm to do case studies and discussing um, uh, patient nurse and patient doctor and doctor nurse communications and trying to explore what might break down in those processes. People have used them for uh, their IT departments to give uh, uh, a walkthrough of how to do certain aspects on, on uh, the computer programs that they support. Um, if you go to the Pachyderm website, and I'll give you the link later, there's a whole list of different usages. There's a showcase, Pachyderm showcase, which gives you the breadth of just how Pachyderm is being used in the community today, and it's, it's really exciting work. Okay, so at this point I'm going to give you a little bit of a look at the authoring environment. Um, the, the first uh, movie that I have, have here is just logging into the application, quickly looking in a presentation listing, and then doing a search on, on uh, the assets in the, in the repository. So as you can see, it's just a very minimal type of design uh, that we have here. Very easy to understand. You've got your presentations and you've got your media. Not a lot of options for a person. Quickly take a look in the presentations. The presentations are listed here. Um, we'll go over to the media. You can see the tabs right there. Allow you to move back and forth between presentations and media fairly easily. And at this point, when it's doing a search, it can search across 
uh, one or multiple repositories that it has available to it. This is where we show the metadata for each object. When you upload media, you can mark them as public or private, which means that either you and you alone have access to that media or you make it available to any user in the system. Uh, group, group access for media is something that we're uh, planning on adding for future versions. You can see you can mark it public or private there. And I went in and I changed uh, the name, and, and there it represents the chain name change right there. So that's the basic way of doing asset searching. Very easy to understand, very straightforward. Now I'll take a look at how a person might get their own media into the system. And I'll give you an example of both a single file and a multi-file upload. So right here, it's just your normal HTTP upload. I think I do a search here, and I pick up the zip that I'll be using later for the multiple upload, which I don't need now. So it's just searching the media on my system. And of course, the search works better on Apple because we have access to wonderful indexing technology. And we'll just grab an image here. Give it a title. And then I'm given a chance to enter metadata for that image. Uh, if I don't want to enter the metadata now, I can enter it later. It's always good to put in, uh, I think, at least a description, if not also filling in uh, some other information. These are the fields that are used in search. Right now, search is fairly simple. We have plans in the future versions for a more complicated search, allowing for uh, advanced searching on different fields, Boolean as well. Filling in the tombstone information, this is what appears with every asset in every presentation, allowing for attribution to, to ride along with every image. Very important in museums. And then the multiple file upload. You can either include a group of files individually or you can upload a zip, which is what I really like about the system. You can pack a bunch of images at once uh, into a zip file. And not only can you upload them at once and does it break them apart, but it gives you an opportunity to enter uh, common metadata, metadata first for those images and then individual metadata. So that allows for a person to upload uh, a a bunch of related images, maybe they were taken in the same time or by the same person or about the same subject. And you can fill in that common information right off the bat. The next step, it breaks them down into their individuals. And we'll give you thumbnails of each of the images. You give it a chance to change the title for each of those images. Maybe extend the description if you've already given a little bit of a description there. 
The title defaults to the file name, so in many cases you really do want to change that file name to a better title. And we'll go all the way down. We have a variety of different images here. Go hit save. Now those are available in the system immediately for use. So we'll go ahead and do a search. I tagged everything with my name in contributor so that I can pull up everything that I, I've put in just recently. Let's see if I actually clicked search here. Pretty sure I did. There we go. You can see all the images that I just loaded. And then I can go ahead and change that metadata if I want. Yeah, I think that's the end of that slide. And this is a demonstration of actually building a presentation. So now that we've got some media in the system that we want to work with, we can go ahead and create a new presentation, enter a title and description. Um, we're planning on a, a great deal more metadata for presentations in the next version to allow for uh, better packaging for LMS systems. Right now, we have presentation name and, and description. And the first thing that you're given is an option for your starting screen. And this lists all the templates that are installed on this system here. I think there's 10 available in this one. There's something like a, a dozen standard templates and probably another dozen to two dozen that other institutions have modified for their own use that they use in-house. Template creation is uh, relatively easy and it drives the interface, which is wonderful. Um, you can see that you have a thumbnail that uh, is a graphic that corresponds to lettering and numbering scheme within the actual form-based uh, authoring. A corresponds to A, and that's where it appears in the actual presentation. And that uh, interface is driven by uh, an XML description of the, uh, the, the data contents of, of a, a, in the individual screen. So if I wanted to add a subtitle, I could go ahead and do that in the XML description, and it would insert another item into the interface. So you have a screen name used by the system and also the display title that's used within the, the actual presentation. I'm going to go ahead and pull up some of those images that I put in. And let's pick Ultraman, one of my favorites as a kid. And so anybody who has experience with a normal uh, form-based web interface is going to be able to get this pretty easily. 
far as usability goes, there is one thing that I don't like about this, and that is the scrolling window on the uh, right-hand side in the interface. It makes it a little bit difficult if you have a large, complicated screen. Um, but we were given a number of different options, and, and this was the one that worked the best. All right. So what I've done is I'm creating a zoom screen as a secondary screen in the presentation, filling in some information there. And then I'll go back to the original screen and attach it. I can preview the screen to see what it looks like, see if I like it. And it's going ahead and, and compiling the screen in Flash so that I can take a look at what the, what the view is going to look like in the final presentation. And this is a relatively grainy image and not a very high quality image I used to upload. So I think I'm going to go back and change that. The system accepts um, files of any size and will do resizing of those images depending on what's required for each template. So you don't have to upload different sizes of images to be used in the, in the template. The best thing to do is to upload a high quality image, maybe a two megapixel image. Um, for the web, that's, that's reasonably high quality. And it will resize everything that uh, it needs for any particular screen. If it needs a small thumbnail, it'll go ahead and create that. And it's using ImageMagic, uh, an open source uh, application for doing image manipulation in the background to do that work. So instead, uh, we'll take a look at the Earth from Space image. This might be a little bit higher resolution. Yeah, that looks better. I believe that was a picture of a space shuttle launch from the International Space Station. Go hit save there. And go back and link that to the original. I'll create an exploration link. Create a little fiction. And it gives me a list of the screens that I have to link to that. Maybe we'll add another link just to show what a link out to the web looks like. Does Ultraman have a web page? See, I didn't know the answer to this before I actually filled in the form, so I just went with the normal way of doing things, and that's uh, put the person's name in the uh, URL, and maybe we'll get a surprise. Probably not safe to do if you're going to be making a presentation for the public, but... Since these are pre-recorded, I had that luxury. So we'll go ahead and preview the screen, what it's going to look like. See those little buttons show up there. And that's good enough for now. Let's go ahead and save the screen. And we'll publish it. You have a choice of uh, language modalities. It does support multiple languages, so you can fill in a presentation with French or English or other languages. Uh, it doesn't do translation for you, unfortunately. That's a, probably beyond the scope of the application. But if you are in, say, Canada, where you're required to do multilingual presentations, um, 
they're able to do that within the interface. So go ahead and click on the first link. There's our Ultraman flying through space, i.e. the space shuttle. And then we'll see what that link gives us. And nothing, I believe. Yep. And that is how easy it is to create a presentation in Pachyderm. And that presentation can be viewed on the web by giving the person of the, the URL of where it's published in the system. Or you can download it um, right on the, uh, the presentation listing. And it, it downloads a zipped up uh, directory that has all of the assets in it, all the XML files in it. Um, and all of the uh, flash swifts necessary to, to drive the, the presentation. So we'll talk a little bit about the future of Pachyderm at this point. Uh, as I mentioned before, Pachyderm is an open source project and it's uh, under the Apache version 2 license, uh, which is a fairly open license. Uh, you can do just about anything you want with, with Pachyderm. I think there's a requirement for attribution and including a readme file uh, with a source distribution and that's about it. Uh, we want participation. We really don't want to restrict people's usage. Uh, if people want to build proprietary templates for their own use, that's something that's fine. Uh, we'd rather people are using it and, and pushing forward uh, the community uh, aspect, but uh, we want people using it at base. Um, there have been some discussions of uh, certain uh, companies building proprietary templates for use uh, in museums that they could then sell to uh, museums that use Pachyderm, um, and that's, that's a viable use. Um, Development continues across multiple institutions uh, on new templates and new functionality. I talked a little bit about some of the templates that are being created uh, by the Seattle Art Museum. We're seeing new template ideas all the time, um, and it's, it's really exciting to me uh, to see the application used in new ways. And uh, there's all sorts of new functionality that people desire um, and, and, and want. And some of that's being worked on in certain institutions already. Right now, the Pachyderm Advisory Council is uh, busy working on a feature list for version 2.0, which I expect to be done within the month. And we we'll also have rough specs uh, for version 2.2 and 2.3. Um, if you are interested in Pachyderm, give it a shot. If there are ideas that you have for modification, additions, uh, extensions to the application, uh, it's a good time to, to get your voice heard. Perhaps not for 2.1, but, but, but definitely for 2.2 and 2.3. Uh, some of the items that are slated for version 2.1 are full 508 accessibility compliance, which is a big deal for educational institutions, especially in California, but uh, also through, throughout the United States. Um, it's really important that um, both the presentations and the authoring environment are accessible to people with disabilities, and, and that's something we're taking very seriously at the CSU, and, and uh, it's part of the work that I'm doing right now. Uh, we're also looking for a full-featured OKI integration, uh, one that supports a larger set of metadata, and, and that's uh, actively being worked on right now. We're looking at uh, expanded asset management and its administration functionality. That means uh, being able to uh, do groupings and folders and collections and better ways of organizing your media uh, than just sort of a, a simple search response being able to, to search across certain collections and not other collections, being able to include collections in an authoring experience. These are all things that we really are excited about, about pushing forward. We also, um, there's an idea um, being put forth to allow a person to do um, cropping and sizing and uh, 
uh, focusing in on aspects of images right within the asset management system, which I think would rather would be a really nice addition to the system. Uh, administration functionality, creating users and groups and work groups and allowing people to, to work on not just their own presentations, but collectively working on presentations uh, together uh, and restricting access to that and, and maybe making uh, parts of their uh, presentations available for inclusion in other presentations. Uh, all of these ideas are, are being pushed forward, uh, many of them in 2.1. Um, new templates, of course, are being created and uh, better presentation management being able to give more metadata, et cetera. So that's the overview of Pachyderm. At this point, I'd like to see if there are any questions out there, uh, either about the history of Pachyderm or about uh, how it's used or, or some of the functionality that's available today. Thank you, Joshua. Actually, we, <coughs> we do have a number of questions. Um, the first is actually a uh, reminder that um, in your uh, list of people that you thanked on the project that uh, Larry Johnson is another key individual. It's on my notes and I missed it. <laughs> I apologize. Without Larry Johnson's leadership in this project, it, it would not have moved forward. And um, he, he was on the, the first of my list of, of thankings and I skipped him because it wasn't the right place. And then my own slide foo messed me up there. <laughs> somebody, somebody caught the oversight. And, yeah. And, Thanks, Larry. Right of the queue. Um, a viewer in Sioux City, Iowa, is uh, wondering if anyone is doing hands-on training uh, ah. for colleges or, or other potential users of the Pachyderm system. Yes, um, hands-on training is something that I think is a really integral part of the use of Pachyderm. It, it's part of what makes the user community uh, be so successful. Uh, the NMC has been doing um, hands-on training for NNC members and uh, for the Marcus Foundation project, a great deal of, of hands-on training is happening in Texas at the institutions that are adopting Pachyderm. We've given a number of hands-on trainings at conferences, Museum of the Web, the NMC conf Summer Conference, uh, a number of conferences within the CSU. Um, the Center for Distributed Learning has been responsible for a great deal of, of um, trainings as well. And I really think that there's an opportunity for uh, the user community members to push forward the idea of training and, and, and making that a, a direct way of evangelizing the use of, of Pachyderm. Let's see, a viewer in London, Ontario is wondering if Pachyderm supports WebDAV. Um, well, right now there's uh, the way to get media into Pachyderm is uh, HTTP upload. Um, if there's a, the use of WebDAV might be a way of either getting media into Pachyderm or getting presentations out of Pachyderm. Um, it's not built into to Pachyderm now, but it's fairly easy to add that. Um, you probably would have to create some new interfaces for, for allowing people to use WebDAV because uh, there's a slightly different context than, than what's there already. But uh, it's not hard to add. It sounds like a developer opportunity. Absolutely. Uh, let's see, uh, from Boston College, is the only way to track the images you uploaded in uh, by tagging them with your name, is there any other way to automatically, or is there a way to automatically tag by user? So user profile right. applied as sort of core metadata. Right. When you enter metadata right now, the user who entered the metadata is recorded, um, but it's not surfaced in the search interface. This is uh, a short site that, that is going to be corrected shortly. Um, 
and so yeah, the, you don't have to necessarily tag it with your name to get it to, to show up. It's just we don't provide you with an easy means of searching that field. Um, so we'll have to, to add that in. Okay, and there's a, a group of questions I think that you already addressed in uh, the Pachyderm's future uh, slide, but I'm going to sort of restate them so you can maybe sort of give an abbreviated sure. response because I think, I think they're very important and a lot of people would want to um, sort of hear this again. Uh, and it really relates to working on projects collaboratively. So the question is, um, are, are projects worked on collaborative, collaboratively with multiple users or is there a single account? Uh, how does this relate to uh, being able to do group projects and um, how do you control for availability of projects and assets beyond single users? Right. <clears throat> so part of the original requirements uh, spec for Pachyderm was to allow for collaborative uh, use of assets and collaborative uh, modifications of presentations. And we ran into some technical difficulties on having multiple people editing the same presentations that made us, uh, for constraints of time, move towards a single user, single authoring uh, environment. Um, but uh, we have not given up hope, and that is the direction that we're moving. Uh, we want to be able to provide the ability for people to create user groups and access groups and allow certain individuals to come in uh, who are part of their group to do modifications to a presentation. We might even have different uh, levels of access. Some might be able to view but not edit. Some might be able to edit certain pages but not publish. Um, so there's a little bit of requirements that need to be put uh, around that to clarify what we would actually want for the, the collaborative environment. So that's definitely something that's in the plans. Also another development opportunity. Great. Well, the questions are really pouring in, um, but uh, to hit our uh, second half, um, let's just maybe do a couple more here. Um, let's see. Do you ever see this um, as being used as a direct-to-consumer product? That is something people could use with their home movies, photos, something beyond museums and, and educational institutions. Right. Well, and there's no preclusion to that at all. Um, it's something that is, it's an application that's so easy to use that uh, people have used them for personal presentations, not just only within our community, but we've showed it to our family members, we've showed it to uh, uh, relatives and friends, and um, it's very easy for people to, to use this type of uh, system. So I think there is a commercial uh, application for it. I know that the um, NMC is... Uh, perhaps planning on, on making access at, uh, in a, a user subscription model basis. Um, and uh, it'd be exciting to see what people do with it, actually. Okay, there's a, a number of questions, uh, I think, generally asking uh, what's the story in regards to Pachyderm integration with commercial learning management systems uh, from WebCT, Blackboard, uh, et cetera, uh, right. and also Sakai and some of the open source sure. elements. So um, Pachyderm, during its public publishing um, phase, has the ability to, to build modular plugins. Um, and one of those plugins that would be necessary to make Pachyderm projects easily consumable by LMS systems to, to create some sort of uh, XML metadata manifest that describes the content of the actual presentation. Um, that's something that we've had on the back burner for a long time. There's a lot of interested parties. This is an excellent development opportunity for people to jump in and say, okay, I'm a, 
um, proponent of Sakai, and I'd really like to be able to, you know, pull in these presentations and have the metadata available uh, as a Sakai module. And, and it's really just as easy as writing one of these these modular plugins uh, during the publish phase to produce the right metadata. Now, of course, we have to collect the right metadata, so that's another thing I had mentioned briefly early on that we're going to be collecting more metadata on the presentation level as well as on the screen level, so people will be able to give. Uh, more description of what's going on in a presentation that doesn't necessarily show up in the presentation itself, but would show up to these types of manifests so that when a person brings in a presentation into Blackboard or into a WebCT or into Moodle, that uh, they have uh, access to a lot more information uh, right off the bat within that, that environment. Great. Well, thank you, everyone, for your questions. Uh, but I think to, to stay on pace here, we're going to move on to the uh, more technical portion of, of the presentation. Um, some of the questions that are still in the queue, if we have time at the end of uh, the webcast, we'll certainly address those. A number of them are basically asking about whether or not this webcast will be available um, as an archive. The short answer is yes. Details to follow at the end of this webcast and also uh, some more information about how to uh, access Pachyderm will also be made available at uh, the end of the webcast. So let's go ahead and move on to the second part of today's webcast. And I'll give it back to uh, Joshua and uh, King, who I believe is still on the phone with us. Yep, right here. All right, so right off the bat, I'm going to talk a little bit. And and this is a more technical section, but it's not highly technical. Um, so if those of you who are already hanging up uh, your connections, uh, hold on a little bit. You might actually learn something that, that you want to, to know without uh, having to wade through code. Um, I didn't want to hit anybody with code at this time of day, um, much less trying to get my own mind wrapped around it. So just a little bit of development history. Um, I talked a little bit about this before, but to give, give a little bit more de uh, detail. The original Pachyderm 1.0 uh, was built with Windows and proprietary technology. We used uh, the IAS uh, web server, Visual Basic, ASP, used Macromedia's generator uh, application at the time, uh, which was what was necessary to include uh, multimedia images and, and files within Swift presentations. You had to actually wrap them with another Swift uh, and embed them physically uh, for them to show up. Of course, that's not the way that the world is now. Um, you can include JPEGs and movies and things like that very simply into to Flash. So uh, we're not bound by that, um, although we share some of that paradigm into the, the current day. We're, we're moving away from that. But the original design was very hard to extend and hard to maintain. Um, for the credit of, of the um, people who created Pachyderm 1.0, and it was a very powerful and resilient tool for, for what SFMOMA needed it for, um, its uh, design was rather organic and evolutionary. So they, would, they had a certain plan for maybe six templates or eight templates, and then later on decided they needed to add more, and they didn't really allow for it in the design. Um, and so it was very hard. They had to add tables to the database in order to support new templates and uh, new interface screens to support new types of templates. And, and it, was, uh, it was very hard to, to make that tool survive into the future. So um, we knew right off the bat the requirements for 2.0 were going to be open source, cross-platform technologies, having it be modular and extensible, allowing for easy additions of not only templates but, but functionality and interoperability. Um, and as I mentioned before, through the leadership of the University of Calgary, we were able to use uh, web objects as the technology platform and the Apollo frameworks as our application core, which handled a great deal of what these requirements were already. Um, 
So uh, web objects, of course, is uh, currently written in Java. Cross-platform and deployable, just deployable anywhere that the JVM is available, which is uh, a huge win uh, because you get to make use of the rapid development tools and the very ease of use with, with web objects. Um, having not to write any more SQL code was, was hard for me to adjust to at first, but then became very nice to be able to rely on. I didn't have to worry about making my code efficient in that way that I knew web objects took care of it for me. Um, and then being able to go ahead and deploy that onto the Mac, onto uh, Windows Box, onto Linux, onto Sun Solaris uh, was a huge win. Uh, much better than trying to have to deal with ASP ports across those platforms. Um, of course, web objects comes automatically installed on XServe boxes, and that makes deployment of Pachyderm on an XServe very, very easy. You just drop the application bundle in place, build out the tables that you need in the database, and uh, put some files into the uh, web root, and, and you're ready to go. Uh, on deployment on other platforms, it requires a little bit more finesse. You need to make sure that the web objects frameworks are available and that uh, you have some way of, of moving back and forth between the web server and, and the web objects application server. But still, it's relatively painless. Um, currently, development is uh, the development environment is Xcode. Historically, that's been the place to do web objects. Um, but those tools, uh, as we know, are being deprecated, and uh, the reins are being handed over to the uh, user community. And Eclipse seems to be what's winning out with the Wolips project. It's actually a fairly good set of tools for uh, creating and modifying web objects. And uh, there's a lot of excitement. Uh, if you join the user list, you can see that, that they're really taking up uh, the call to, to make the next generation tools available to the public. It's really exciting. i hand this over to King now. He provided a few slides for us. Great. Thanks, Josh. So uh, WebObjects is a powerful and mature web application environment that has played and continues to play an influential role in many high-profile websites like BBC News, um, TV Ontario in Canada, and, uh, of course, the iTunes Music Store. Uh, in fact, WebObjects celebrated its 10th birthday almost a year ago in uh, March of 2006. Since Pachyderm is based on WebObjects, I'd like to uh, give everyone a bit of an update on what's happening in the world of WebObjects, uh, what's coming up for us in the near future, and how that will affect Pachyderm. And next slide. So the WebObjects development tool ships free with every Mac as part of Xcode, which is the primary development package for almost everything on Mac OS X. The primary tools used with WebObjects are the Xcode application itself, which uh, is used to create, edit, build, and manage projects like Pachyderm 2. Uh, there's EU Modeler, which is used to find data sources like databases. WebObjects Builder, a graphical web page editing tool, and Rule Editor, which is used to edit business rules that can control various aspects of a web application. Now, the interesting thing is that a strong community of WebObjects users has built up over the years. And these very passionate developers have created a set of tools that they've built themselves that perform essentially the same job as the Apple provided tools, but with extra features, bug fixes, and other enhancements. These are open source tools that are actively maintained by WebOptics users and collectively um, gathered under a product called Project Wonder on SourceForge. And at Apple's Worldwide Developers Conference last August, as Josh alluded to, uh, Apple announced that it will be discontinuing its own tools and instead will recommend the use of these community-built tools 
and help the tool developers by releasing specifications and source code that are currently considered proprietary information to Apple. So the benefit will, uh, will be that not only can WebObjects applications like Pachyderm be deployed on multiple platforms, but they can once again be developed on, be developed on multiple platforms, um, either through Eclipse um, or some other product management software. And with, the and with the tool development on the community itself, uh, Apple is concentrating on enhancing the core technology of WebObjects. Next slide, please. The core technology refers to the guts of what makes the web application run, such as generating web pages, accessing databases, and many other capabilities. One of these areas is request handling. Every time a user clicks on a hyperlink in the Packroom authoring tool, the user's web browser sends a request to the Packroom server, which causes an action to occur, like adding an image, or performing a search, or saving some text. The time it takes between a click to when the server sends response back uh, sorry, so the time it takes between when a click occurs to when the server sends a response back to the user's web browser is called the response time. And in the next uh, upcoming version of WebObjects, this response time is going to be dramatically improved uh, to a tune of about, say, five or six times as fast. What this means is that Pachyderm users could enjoy uh, much snappier performance as a Pachyderm server responds more quickly to requests uh, and so forth. In addition to faster response times, the request handling improvements will also will result in, high, uh, in a higher response throughput. So throughput is a measure of the total number of requests a server can handle in a given time frame, uh, which is commonly referred to as capacity. So a higher response throughput means that servers, such as a package instance, will be able to support more users at once. Another thing I want to mention is that in, uh, for deployment, is that right now, if you're deploying Pachyderm using Apache on a platform other than Mac OS X, um, you would have to compile essentially a version of mod web objects for your server and, and so forth to do a full, fully um, load balanced web object deployment with um, something called low task speed. So this is a, a bit of a pain uh, for some people. And um, in the next version of web objects, uh, it will support load balancing using something called mod proxy balancer, which comes standard with Apache 2.2 instead of requiring this uh, custom mod web objects. So that will make it, uh, should make it much easier for anyone trying to deploy Apache, uh, deploy Pachyderm on um, using Apache on a non-Mac OS X platform. And alternatively, if you are deploying as a servlet on Tomcat, um, there's some new support for load balancing with Tomcat 5.5. So uh, that'll be, um, so these improvements will be very helpful to getting Pachyderm uh, more easily installed on uh, non-NACOS 10 servers. So uh, those are just some of the enhancements that are coming with the next version of WebObjects that Pachyderm will benefit from. Uh, Pachyderm 2 is built on a great foundation has a bright future ahead of it, uh, all the way from deep in the code uh, to the amazing presentations that people are building. So uh, thanks for your time, and back to you, Josh. Thank you, King. And I provided a, a one slide review of the Apollo Services frameworks, and I apologize to King right off the bat if I screwed this up. You can always chime in and, uh, and add any commentary that you have here. But uh, just to give you an idea what these frameworks are doing, that there's three basic frameworks that are, that are used in Apollo. The core framework, the data framework, and the application framework. Uh, the core framework is what builds the foundation classes used in authentication, document management, asset management, does some uh, 
file manipulation tools like uh, finding out the UTI for any particular resource and, and any other sort of core functionality uh, resides in the, the, the core library. Uh, the data library extends that functionality to include uh, uh, asset transformation, you know, creating one asset from another type of asset, being able to re do resizes or compilation from uh, JPEG into a SWIFT. Uh, it does um, the repository query and communication that allows you to communicate back and forth to multiple uh, asset repositories. It uh, provides the models for the metadata objects that are used in the system as well as other data services. And the application framework is uh, a bunch of uh, page interfaces and templates that are used for creating the actual uh, presentation of, of the application. And it uh, helps you manage different document-based uh, document functionalities uh, that are used in Pachyderm. So if King has anything to add to that, he can. Otherwise, uh, I can go ahead and move on. That's great? OK. And then uh, talk a little bit about the Pachyderm frameworks that are used. Uh, these are built on top of the Apollo frameworks. So PX Foundation is basically the business logic of Pachyderm. That's where we create our presentation object models and the workflow object model used in uh, the uh, uh, publishing phase of building Pachyderm. Um, then there are a number of different plugins that are available to uh, Pachyderm. One of them is the Simple Authentication Support plugin. And what this is is really just a very simple, easy um, username password management uh, data model. Um, the uh, Apollo frameworks uh, understand authentication in terms of sources and plugins. And so Pachyderm doesn't have a native uh, authentication system, it really just builds its own plugin. That means that it's very easy for a person to go ahead and build another plugin to talk to, say, their LDAP server. And uh, it will manage not just a single source of authentication, but multiple sources, which is a nice power that Apollo lends to, to Pachyderm. Uh, another plugin uh, is the Asset D DB Support uh, plugin, and this is the repository, asset repository that uh, is used in Pachyderm. Um, there's a little bit uh, closer, tightly bound uh, relationship uh, to the asset DB support, even though it does function as a plugin, because uh, all of the file uploads that happen within Pachyderm will be put into the asset DC DB support model. Um, we don't have upload capabilities to external models, mostly because of the way that people generally like to use asset repositories. It's usually a read-only type of relationship. And uh, curators at museums that are responsible for um, maintaining asset repositories might get a little angry if people are going in and changing their metadata or uh, adding uh, images and files that they haven't uh, vetted into their system. So uh, we do allow for uh, uploading into the system, but it does stay local to Pachyderm. Otherwise, you can pull assets from other locations and use them in your presentation as permissions allow. Uh, but you can build multiple different plugins. Where the way that the OKIDB support plugin works is it plugs into the same uh, asset repository system as the asset DB support plugin and allows you to query different uh, OSID repository providers uh, for assets as well. So, you know, everybody hates these pies, but I thought I'd just sort of lay it out there to sort of give you an idea of the relationship from top to bottom of uh, Pachyderm. So you have the Pachyderm application on top, which really is just a set of screens and presentation interfaces that uh, uses extensively all of the business logic that's found in PX Foundation. What this allows us for, this type of separation 
gives the possibility in future versions to be able to have dramatically different interfaces to do the same functionality. So if a person chose to, say, take a look at a project like Open Laszlo and they wanted to have a really dynamic uh, way of interacting with Pachyderm, they could do that by rewriting the interface in Open Laszlo and having it make communication calls uh, to the PX Foundation code, perhaps through an extension through web services or something like that. Um, and then uh, under the PX Foundation, uh, in concert with the Apollo frameworks, we have all of our plugins. So the, the plugins I've mentioned so far, uh, there's also the possibility of other plugins uh, that can be added right into the system that, that Apollo will support as well. And then underneath Apollo is, of course, the Web Objects Foundation frameworks, and then that rides on top of your web server. Uh, in most cases, that's going to be Apache, I think. So we'll talk a little bit now about uh, opportunities and integration and interoperability. So because we are making use of the Apollo framework, we, we have built into our system the ability to, to integrate multiple external technologies right off the bat, which is exciting. Uh, multiple authentication systems, multiple repositories, um, and, and uh, other plugins can be used as well. So for asset repositories, as I said, there's a native asset repository, and it's, it senses itself as a plugin. Um, and it, it has distributed asset management built right into the architecture, um, which is really exciting. Um, doing federated searches is, is something that just happens. Um, and then the plugins are fairly easy to write. You can use the, the EO modeler, entity modeler, uh, entity modeler to, to build new models uh, in the same way that the uh, asset DB plugin was built for Pachyderm. Or in, in the case of the OKI plugin, we make direct calls to the OKI OSID uh, to make communications between uh, external sources. Uh, and since it's Java, I mean, you can you could do it any way you wanted to. If you wanted to, you know, forgo the the ease use of, of the WebObjects uh, EO model and, and make direct calls to the database, you could do that too. Um, you could call from flat files. You could call from from just about any source that you want to. You just have to write the write the methods to fulfill those the search functions. And authentication, again, as I said, it's native authentication is a plugin, and it allows for distributed authentication built right into the architecture. So there's also some discussion in extending uh, the interoperability and integration of Pachyderm in another direction. Um, we already are working on using the OKI OSID to consume different assets from different repositories, but there's also a discussion of being able to uh, publish into other repositories the finished Pachyderm learning object presentations. And there's uh, work happening within the CSU uh, around a digital mar marketplace project, um, which would allow Pachyderm to uh, push its presentations after publish into a database that would be uh, fully indexed and, and uh, people would be able to pull those presentations out uh, from, from that archive uh, instead of just having to download through the internals of Pachyderm, uh, which is rather exciting. We would be using OKI OSIDs for that as well. And uh, we had discussed a little bit earlier about integrating with learning management systems. So we have to build the metadata, metadata packaging uh, for each one of those systems, but that's very easy considering our, our workflow model in publishing to be able to build those plugins to create the, the manifest for whatever system we need to have that there for. 
So we'll move into the discussion of some development opportunities that are available for people who are looking at this as a possible platform for either their institution or uh, because you're just really excited about the project. Um, there will be a statement of the 2.1 uh, features that are planned in the near term uh, and we're looking of course for developers to aid both in that in 2.2 and 2.3. Um, some sites that are of particular interest to the community are the building of new templates and uh, because templates are relatively easy to design um, it's a really good place for people to get their uh, their feet wet in involvement in the Pachyderm project. Um, for your typical types of data, you know, images and sound and blocks of text, um, all of the authoring widgets necessary already exist within the system. And it's just a matter of writing uh, an XML description of your template that drives the interface. Now, in some authoring uh, instances, we may want to either accept a new type of media or have a different type of relationship between uh, aspects that require building new web objects components that are used in the building of the interfaces. So uh, one screen that is uh, being developed right now in Pachyderm 2.0 is uh, the ability for a person to jump out of the web objects interface and into a flash interface, allowing them to draw circles or different uh, shapes around parts of an image and then have those pieces called out in, in a template so that a person could look at details. And that, that type of uh, moving back and forth requires the creation of a new authoring widget. So that's a site where we're extending the ability of Pachyderm into new types of authoring uh, environments. And of course, if a person wanted to take up an entirely new type of authoring modality, um, such as the using of you know, OpenLaslo or some other type of interface, uh, people uh, are encouraged just to, wor to work in that. Um, but also, I think in this, this case, I was speaking in templates, uh, there's room for developing templates for handhelds. There's room for developing templates to large screen displays or, or um, uh, any type of uh, like touch screens are being developed at the, at the Seattle Art Museum as well. So there's a lot of room there for extending the breadth of the application of Pachyderm. Um, under functionality, we uh, have a lot of work to be done on enriching the asset presentation and learning object management, being able to create collections of, of items, make them easier to search, easier to categorize, um, and, and of course extra administration functionality. Um, and then work in interoperability. Um, there's still work to be done in the OKIO SIDS. Uh, of course, there's a Steve Museum project that's happening right now. The type of integration that happens between Pachyderm and other systems is exciting work, and I like to see that extended. And then uh, building Pachyderm so that it has service-oriented architecture and web services uh, more readily available to outside services. So it would be nice to be able to provide some sort of interface for people to uh, pull and query presentations that have been made in Pachyderm or maybe uh, do some sort of uh, alternate authoring or, or compilation of screens that, that Pachyderm could fulfill some of those purposes for. Okay, so we got a part two Q&A. I think we've got a little over 10 minutes left for that. Great. Well, let me uh, remind our audience that now would be a good time to participate in the online survey. Um, and also, for more information on next month's webcast from Mac Learning Environments, uh, check at our website. And uh, be sure to join so that you get uh, any uh, emails that we send out in regards to uh, upcoming um, webcasts. Uh, we have a couple of questions. Um, 
see the first one is the the viewer understands that uh, in the pachyderm 1.0 project uh, Mac, macromedia's generator uh, software was used to create the flash swift files in pachyderm 2.0 what software do you now use to generate the same swift files? sure for a while we were making use of a project an open source project called j generator but because of some um, instability problems that we were having. I don't know if it was in the project or perhaps just the way we were using it. We've moved to another project called JSwift, which actually takes um, a original Swift and compiles it as an XML file. And then we can make modifications to that XML file, inserting the serialized image that's necessary for that wrapper, inserting any metadata into that XML file. And then it recompiles the Swift uh, after you've made those modifications. Um, so it does basically the same function as Generator did, uh, but without using the template files. It has this XML file that gets modified instead. Um, in the future, I'm hoping actually to do away from, with that phase altogether and to just produce an XML file that describes the metadata necessary and then have a separate Swift that, that does the presentation layer um, for popping up the image for the tombstone information. I also want to be able to embed accessibility into that as well so that you can have all of your alt text show up and long descriptions and uh, if there's a transcript available for audio that it would be available through that as well. And, and decoupling those items and not doing the compilation uh, gives us a great deal of flexibility I think we need to move into the future. Uh, and so for now it's JSwift. I'm predicting that within a year we'll probably not be using a compilation phase. Great. Uh, another question from our audience. Um, have any of the major open source education projects, uh, I think they're mostly talking about some of the collections, for example, MIT's OpenCourseWare or OCW, uh, Rice's Connections project and the CMU project, uh, have they used or are they planning to use Pachyderm for their rich media authoring? That's a good question. Um, I don't have the answer to that, but I do know that at MIT um, they're very interested in, in, in using it locally um, uh, for access to the, the OSID repositories they already have established. Um, to what ends that those are, are being used, I, I can't answer that, but hopefully the question will at least spur some interest in those groups and uh, they can you know, communicate directly with the list or with me if they're, if they're interested in maybe uh, launching a pilot program for those. Great, thank you Joshua. Um, our last question is, is there a free Pachyderm server where one can get an account or do you have to install the software on your own server? Right, so um, historically um, the NMC has provided um, free 90-day trial accounts um, on their servers for NMC members and those who are interested. Um, with the transitioning of the project from the IML, IMLS grant to the open source community, um, it's pretty much a case-by-case situation with both the NMC and, and the CSU has been providing some accounts for individuals to take a look. Um, if people are interested in taking a look at Pachyderm, um, they can communicate with me and I'll, I'll find uh, somebody who's willing to give them a, a trial account um, for that. Into the future, I'm hoping that institutions might make uh, free versions available for their communities so that um, uh, people are able to, to make use of it um, 
uh, without having to do an install. I do know that the, the New Media Consortium is talking about having a uh, subscription model of a very low fee. People can get accounts as well. So um, if you're not interested in doing your own hosting but are interested in using Pachyderm, that's a really a good option as well. Up on your uh, screen, you're going to see some more information on uh, Pachyderm. Uh, Joshua, do you have any uh, data points you want to speak to for the information up on the screen, or is it pretty much self-explanatory? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty much there. Go to the home page, and just about everything that I've discussed uh, is available there, and it has a lot of links outward. Um, I would really encourage people to take a look at the, the showcase on the Pachyderm org site. Um, also, we've just launched a discussion forum, which is going to eventually take the place of our listserv so that we have a better way of, of uh, keeping an archive and, and having multiple different threads of conversation going on at once uh, as far as the development and user community. Um, and then, of course, you can go to the Packet and Project on SourceForge and, and download uh, either installation packages or the source as well. All right, I'd like to uh, thank Joshua and King once again for joining us on this webcast. And for news about future webcasts and access to this webcast archive, uh, join the Mac Learning Project. Uh, I know a number of uh, questions came from the audience about whether or not this uh, particular webcast would be archived. Uh, Mac Learning Environments archives every webcast that it does, and uh, those archives are made available through the Mac Learning website. Uh, but delivered through Duke University's iTunes U deployment. So you can actually subscribe to those. We're working on providing various formats um, so you can get the full archive, audio only, enhanced podcast, uh, or an iPod compatible video. Uh, all those are coming shortly. Again, stay tuned through Mac Learning Environments. And thank all of you for participating on today's webcast. Have a great day.